0: All right. Three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, September 26th. And uh, oh my goodness, we have a, a big show today. I'm really excited. We're going to talk about Thursday night football. I got a lot of comments actually on YouTube asking for me to predict the Rams and. Vikings game tomorrow, we're going to talk about that in a minute, we're going to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick later in the show, Um, did Fitzmagic run out, did Ryan Fitzpatrick's luck run out, why did he lose to the Steelers, we'll talk about that in a minute, but first I want to start with this, Um, for me this is the most interesting story, I'm going to talk about a story that's not necessarily the biggest national story in sports, but to me this is the one that just my mind was drawn to, it was really interesting, we got some interesting facts, Um, I want to just jump right into it. Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant has announced he is transferring from the program. Kelly Bryant has started the last 18 games for Clemson. He is now leaving. And the Clemson head coach, Dabo Sweeney, just announced that Trevor Lawrence, the freshman quarterback, will be the starting quarterback for the rest of the year moving forward. And and I have a few thoughts. I mean, one thing I want to say is that I think that Clemson did right by Kelly Bryant. They took care of their kid. He may not feel like he got taken care of, but they did him a solid by announcing this today. But first I want to say this. Um, Kelly Bryant gave an interview to Greenville News, a, a newspaper. And I believe those the quotes I'm going to read, I'm going to paraphrase, but the quotes he gave to this newspaper tell us a really sad story, a story of a kid who does not quite understand. So first what Kelly Bryant said is that he believes that transferring is the right thing for him and his future. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I I think that it's better for him to go somewhere else and start next year than to stay at Clemson and waste a year of eligibility. And you you want to end your senior year playing football. That's what Kelly Bryant's going to do. But he continues to say these four things that really did concern me. He says, first, I've never been a distraction and I've never been in trouble. Okay? Kelly Bryant says he waited his turn and he did everything that was asked of him. He felt like he never did anything to not be the starter. And Kelly Bryant said it felt like kind of a slap in the face that he was demoted, that they promoted a freshman quarterback over him to become the starter at Clemson. <sighs> I, uh, I believe Kelly Bryant is in the process of learning a really painful lesson. You have to earn your job every single day, no matter who you are top dog, middle, no matter what position you are, every single day you must perform. You know, he he references that he never caused any issues. That's awesome, but that's the bare minimum. No quarterback should ever be an issue off the field. A quarterback is supposed to stay out of trouble. Now, I really feel for Kelly Bryant. I don't think he gets it. I don't think he understands. You know, he said, I didn't do anything wrong. And he didn't. He just got beat out. Trevor Lawrence has thrown 61 passes so far in four games. Kelly Bryant has thrown 53. Trevor Lawrence has nine touchdowns, two interceptions, and 600 yards passing. And in comparison, Kelly Bryant only has two touchdowns, one interception, and 456 yards. Kelly Bryant just got beat out. It's not not like he did anything wrong. He just got beat out. Now, there's one thing he said that I thought was really interesting. He said... I didn't do anything to not be the starter. Every single day is an opportunity. Every single moment you are on the field, if you're broadcasting, if you're in a test in class, whatever it is, every single moment is an opportunity. An opportunity to lose your job and an opportunity to gain your job. Strong opinion sports is the hardest thing I've ever done. This is so much work. People don't understand. Now, I love it. It's all I really want to do. It's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. But every single time I record an episode of Strong Opinion Sports, I'm painfully aware this is not only an opportunity for me to gain new followers, to gain new listeners. It's also an opportunity to screw up and have me lose people. Now, I try to be very honest and authentic. I admit my faults. But if I have a bad show, I don't think I can afford to have a bad show. I try to do a great job every single time because if I put out a bad show, that can only hurt me. I I look at every episode as an opportunity to build more. And and we're growing like crazy. It's really cool. It's the same with these quarterbacks. Every single day, every single game, every single moment is an opportunity. Kelly Bryant never had a bad day. He never did anything wrong. But Trevor Lawrence beat him out because Kelly Bryant was having good days. Trevor Lawrence, the freshman, was just killing it. He dominated nine touchdowns in four games. Your job is rarely secure. That's what you need to understand. No matter who you are, even Tom Brady, your job is never secure. If Tom Brady starts laying eggs every day in practice, they're going to replace him really quickly. You have to earn your job every single day. I cannot stress that enough. No matter what field you are. Kelly Bryant's learning this the hard way. It's painful. I know. I feel bad for the guy. But every day you got to perform. So again, Clemson... Quarterback Kelly Bryant was benched in favor of a freshman. And here's what I'm afraid is going to get lost in all of this. Clemson's coach, Dabo Sweeney, is doing Kelly Bryant a favor. He's really caring for his player. He's doing him a solid. And timing matters. You cannot forget. Timing is so important. When was this decision made? It was made after four games. And according to NCAA rules... Four games is a cutoff. If you play more than four games, you cannot redshirt. Dabo Sweeney did the right thing by benching Kelly Bryant now. He's actually helping him. It may feel it might feel painful in the moment, but long term, it's better for the athlete. Because remember, Kelly's a senior, He's and he's already played four games. If he plays one more down of football this year, he cannot transfer. He cannot play somewhere else next year. He'd be done. He'd be wasting his whole senior year as a backup. I don't know i think it's important to recognize the change was made after four games timing is so important he can save his final year of eligibility he can redshirt. and he can go somewhere else i know it's painful i think dabble sweeney really likes his player but it's good for the kid and i respect what Dabo sweeney did he took care of his player it's awesome again i repeat the clemson coach did his former quarterback a solid he did him a favor There are two other teams with similar situations. I said last week that I was going to compare Nebraska and Alabama. We're going to do that right now. We're going to talk about this finally. Because at the beginning of the season, Nebraska named a true freshman quarterback, Adrian Martinez, as their starting quarterback. And this had a massive, massive domino effect through the first four weeks of college football all over the place. What it is, it has allowed... Nebraska allowed their second-string quarterback. So Adrian Martinez was named the starter. The kid who was named the second-string quarterback didn't like that. His name is Tristan Jebia. He was allowed to transfer to Oregon State. Nebraska gave him a release, said go where you want. Do what's best for you. You can go to Oregon State. Well, guess what happened in Nebraska's first game? Their starting quarterback, Adrian Martinez, got injured. Right now, Nebraska is 0-3, and a large part of it is because they have not had their starting quarterback. They lost him against Colorado, didn't have a guy down the stretch. Last two games, haven't had their starting quarterback. And at the time, I commended Scott Frost. I said, Scott Frost, I respect what you did because not having a backup quarterback really hurt the program. It still has. I predicted it would. It did. But Scott Frost did not care about what was best for the program. He wanted what was best for his player. I commended that. I said that was really cool. I transferred once. You know, I did that once. I transferred in high school. And when you transfer as a quarterback, it makes things, things get real really quick. Your intensity level for football ratchets up immediately. I think Tristan Jebbia is going to do a fantastic job. Oregon State loves him. They call him a football junkie. I think eventually Tristan Jebbia is going to be the starting quarterback at Oregon State. But for now, it hurt Nebraska. Nebraska took a loss by letting their backup quarterback transfer away. So we've talked about how Dabo Sweeney did his player a solid. Dabo Sweeney let Kelly Bryant go before it was too late, before his senior year was wasted. And Scott Frost helped his kid out. Scott Frost helped Tristan Jubby out by allowing him to transfer before it was too late. He said, you can go now, go to Oregon State, go wherever you want. So again, Scott Frost did right by his player. Dabo Sweeney did right by his player. How about Alabama? How about Jalen Hurts at Alabama? Because Jalen Hurts is the backup, and he's got two years left of eligibility, and he's played all four games. This is the moment. If Jalen Hurts is going to leave Alabama, if he's going to redshirt, if he's going to make any kind of move at all, it's got to happen right now, this week. Remember, Jalen Hurts has played a ton of garbage time. He cannot afford to play one more game. I don't know. It makes me wonder about Nick Saban, because I know that Scott Frost character players first. I know that Dabo Sweeney put his players first. They gave up backup quarterbacks that could help them down the road for the better of their players. Nick Saban hasn't done that. And I'm not even necessarily criticizing Nick Saban. Nick Saban's goal is not necessarily to help Jalen Hurts. Nick Saban's goal is to win a national championship and having a good backup is really important. But I don't understand. I mean, maybe I'm missing something. I don't know why Jalen Hurts, the backup quarterback for Alabama, is not leaving. Maybe he wants to be on a winning team. He doesn't care about starting. Hey, maybe he's fine being the backup. I don't know. I would want to play if I was Jalen Hurts. But it's worth noting that Nick Saban dragged along the starting quarterback announcement at Alabama. What he did was give the backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts, hope. Tua Aloa is a far better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. It's not even close. And I just don't know that Nick Saban had what was best for Jalen Hurts in mind, the backup quarterback. I don't think he cares. It's not a bad thing. I'm just pointing out. Dabo Sweeney cares about his backup. Scott Frost cared about his backup. I don't know that Nick Saban did. I might be taking a leap. We don't, I don't know what Jalen Hurts is thinking. Maybe he doesn't want to transfer. Maybe he doesn't have any desire to go be a starting quarterback somewhere else. But I, I just think it's really weird. Jalen Hurts has two years left of eligibility. I don't know that he wants to waste both of them backing up Tua to Aloa. And he's got to make a move now. If Jalen Hurts wants to leave Alabama. He must make that happen now. Dabo Sweeney did Kelly Bryant to solid. He said, Look, I'm going to make this decision after week four so that if you are on a transfer, you can now. I'm going to help you out. Jalen Hurts better make a move now or else he's going to be stuck as a backup for two years at Alabama. It's not good. Jalen Hurts graduates in December. He could redshirt now, be a graduate transfer. He could play immediately somewhere else and have two years of eligibility. But if he's going to make a move, Jalen Hurts needs to make that happen now. All right, we have a great show today. I'm going to talk about Khalil Mack. I uh, I just, I've kind of revised my thoughts about Khalil Mack. I've got some interesting stuff to say. I'm going to preview the Rams and Vikings game. Thursday night football is tomorrow. A lot of people have asked for my opinion on that game. I can't wait to talk about it. I'm First of all, I'm excited to watch it. And uh, next, I'm excited to tell you guys what I think about that game. We're going to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm going to do Zach is a Genius. It's my favorite segment where I make fun of myself and talk about all the times I've missed. We're going to do college quarterbacks. We're going to go through all the college quarterbacks that I look at from an NFL perspective, there's a new quarterback I want to add to the list this week, and there's a another quarterback that just completely jumped to the top of the list, really impressed me. I'm going to do my deadly dozen, which is the top 12 teams in the NFL, six from the AFC, six from the NFC. The teams, I think, are all 12 playoff teams this year. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow this show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm dead serious. I mean, I want to keep growing. If you like what I'm saying at all, if you just like any of the segments on YouTube, help me grow. Show it to your friends. Tell them about it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. It would mean the world to me. We are growing at a massive rate. I can't believe it. And continue to do that. Continue to share this with your friends and help me grow. All right. I'm going to drink some water. Um, I... uh, Oh, it's been a long, a long day. A lot of school stuff. I'm kind of going nuts. I really am just, I'm like this close to dropping out every single day. I know I won't. I really believe in the the value of having a college degree, but man, it just oh, drives me nuts. So we are just a few weeks removed from the Khalil Mack trade. Remember, the Raiders traded Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears. And I am highly... Highly conflicted about this. Remember, if you you look back at the past, I was pretty consistent about this. I said that the Raiders were making a good decision by trading away Khalil Mack. I I didn't even say, I didn't necessarily say the Raiders were making a good move trading him away. What I said was, I would not pay Khalil Mack the money he wants. I said, Khalil Mack is not worth $23.5 million a year, which is what the Chicago Bears ended up paying him. I said, that's too much. And I would... I would struggle to pay a quarterback that much. I would though, let alone a defensive lineman who has a lesser impact on the game. Well, uh, I saw some stats that have made me really reconsider my opinion about Khalil Mack. Make me wonder if I landed on the right side of this. Cause if you look at Khalil Mack, Khalil Mack has better stats by himself. Khalil Mack's individual stats are better than the entire Raiders defense. That's atrocious. Khalil Mack has four sacks by himself. The Raiders' defense has three in entirety. That's horrible. Khalil Mack has three forced fumbles. The Raiders only have one. Khalil Mack has a fumble recovery, and Khalil Mack has a defensive touchdown. The Raiders don't have either one of those things. The Raiders don't have a fumble recovery, and the Raiders do not have a defensive touchdown. Khalil Mack's individual stats are even better than the entire Raiders' Defense. That's embarrassing. That's not good. But it's not just about stats. I don't want to only focus on the statistics here. Leadership is often an underrated quality. You know, right now Arizona State is starting a quarterback named Manny Wilkins. I've met him. He's a great guy. Got to meet him at the Lead Eleven once. Um, he is a fifth-year senior. Herm Edwards is a first-year coach at Arizona State. I think the reason why Manny Wilkins is the quarterback, if you just watch Arizona State. He's got poise and leadership. He's not the best quarterback in the world, but the reason why he's a starting quarterback in Arizona State is because he is a tremendous leader in that locker room. He brings veteran wisdom and poise and understands the moment. He's picking guys up on the sideline. The reason why Manny Wilkins is the quarterback at Arizona State is because of his leadership ability. When I watch the Chicago Bears, I see Khalil Mack have a similar effect on his teammates. Khalil Mack elevates everybody around him. The people on the Bears defense play better because of Khalil Mack. Everybody feeds off of Khalil Mack's energy, his leadership. He's encouraging. Khalil Mack's effect is not just statistically. It's the way he plays and the effect he has on his teammates. I watched Lawrence Taylor of Football Life. Lawrence Taylor, legendary outside linebacker for the New York Giants. Outside linebacker, defensive end, no matter what you want to call it. A legendary pass rusher, just known for annihilating quarterbacks. What everybody said that played with Lawrence Taylor, all of Lawrence Taylor's teammates said that he had a wonderful effect on everybody around him. He elevated the people around him. He was encouraging. He had this spirit and just fought really hard. Khalil Mack is a very similar player. Like, you ever done a group project in school? I I do a ton of group projects. It's one of the things I hate the most about my degree. I'm always doing group projects. When you do a group project, sometimes sometimes there's a person who organizes everything. You know what I'm talking about. There's a person who makes sure everybody shows up makes sure everybody works hard. They're good leaders. They get the project going. The project would not have gone as well as if they had not stepped up and arranged meeting times, brought snacks, motivated people, helped them, got the best out of their teammates. That is what Khalil Mack is. Khalil Mack is the person in the group project texting everybody, giving people rides, Bringing everybody to their house, elevating everybody around them. Oh, and by the way, Khalil Mack is not just a leader; he's also the most talented person on the football field. So I'm not ready to say that Khalil Mack's contract is too big is what I would pay him because I just still I'm still uncomfortable paying a guy like Khalil Mack twenty three and a half million dollars. I I just I'm weird. I'm silly. I can't justify it yet. Until I see a whole season worth of stats and he really earns it, awesome. But after three games, it looks like he is going to earn that money. <laughs> and I, He has a, a much greater effect than just, the, the, just what the statistics show. Khalil Mack makes that defense better all around. Other players play better because of his influence, because of his leadership, his encouragement. I mean, I watched the Bears on Sunday. They won their game against the Arizona Cardinals because of their defense. It starts with Khalil Mack, it goes outwards, and that defense won the game. Mitch Trubisky was incredibly subpar. He wasn't great, he was highly average, and despite that, the Bears were able to come back and win the game. It's because of Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack elevates the Bears' defense, he influences everybody around him, he's a great leader, he's not just statistics. It's what he does with his teammates, the way he elevates people. Khalil Mack is special, and... Every time I look at it, the more I, the more clearly I think, the more I go, "Ooh, I might have fallen on the wrong side of that." I'm getting pretty close to admitting I was wrong, because Khalil Mack really does have a great influence on that defense, and it's much more than just what the stats show. Now, there's another Raider story I want to talk about. There's a story that, there's a story that John Gruden has caused a divide in the Raiders front office. Basically, what John Gruden does is he has his own way of scouting football players. He has his own scouting system, and he has some of his own guys, some of his own people that he brought in. And so scouts from the old regime, regime, scouts from before John Gruden got there, are clashing with John Gruden and his system. And I think that there's, it's not just John Gruden's new system that people are bothered with. John Gruden made a bad first impression. Because I really understand where Raider Scouts are coming from. Let me give you some perspective. Just imagine you worked on a project for a long, long time. For example, I built a car once. I, I rebuilt a car. Just imagine that you rebuilt an entire car engine. You put a ton of work into it. You did a great job. It runs great. You're really proud of it. It's an ama- you did an amazing, amazing job. You built this incredible thing. And then your boss comes down from above you and says, nope, and completely throws it away. All your hard work, all your preparation, all that stuff, all the time you put in, thrown away, put to waste. That is what John Gruden did when he traded Khalil Mack. I can only imagine how frustrated the Raider scouts were when they did all the work, they picked the right player. For them, for an NFL scout, getting a player like Khalil Mack is a huge, huge win. We did everything right, and yet John Gruden still threw him away. John Gruden still made all of our hard work Invalid. He just totally threw it away. It was a bad start. It's not just about John Gruden's system. The reports are this, that John Gruden has this weird system, and it's not working with the Raiders right now. It's not just that. It's that John Gruden made a bad first impression. So I want to say this. It was a bad start. The system has issues, yada, yada, whatever. But I want to talk now to people who are in the Raiders front office, people who are scouting for the Raiders, if you are now a member of the Raiders organization and you're not doing what John Gruden says, you're wrong. You're wrong. John Gruden is the man who makes has a $100 million contract. He's going to get his way. What you need to do is accept reality. Because guess what? Khalil Mack is gone. John Gruden's the man. It's his way or the highway. You have to accept reality. The Khalil Mack situation, as painful as that is, I can understand. I totally understand why a Raider scout would be incredibly frustrated by the Khalil Mack trade. But it's over. You got to move on. And you got to find a way to get along with John Gruden because his way is not going to change. It's been the most frustrating thing I've had to deal with in college. Often college is bad. There's a lot of bad systems I run into. There's a lot of frustrating things that are just stupid. But I can't change the system. You have to accept it and do the best you can within the system. You're not going to change John Gruden's system. I'm sorry, but he's the guy making $100 million on his contract. He's not going anywhere. It's his way or the highway. And so if you're in the Raiders organization and you don't want to do things John Gruden's way, just quit. It's not going to work. You're not going to change anything. You got to conform. I don't like it either. I wouldn't. I've been a part of frustrating systems. But there are some systems you just can't change and you have to conform and fall in line. And John Gruden's system is not going to change. He's going to do it his way. And you must fall in line because he's got more job security than you do. You're expendable. He's not. All right. On Thursday night football, the Rams play the Vikings in LA. And uh, I can't wait to watch this game. I'm so excited. I think tomorrow night's going to be incredible, it's going to be fantastic. And I want to make a prediction I believe the Vikings are going to beat the Rams on Thursday night football. I am picking the Vikings to win. I'm making a prediction the Vikings are going to win this game. Now the Rams are a better team, I can acknowledge that. The Rams are a much better roster. I mean the Vikings are not a bad roster, but the Rams are a better roster. We can all acknowledge that. And the Rams are 3 and 0. Rams are 3 and 0. They're riding high. It's going well for them. Now in contrast, the Vikings are 1-1 and 1. They have one win, one loss and a tie. I want to ask you a question. Who do you think is hungrier right now? Which team is more desperate for a win? The Vikings or the Rams? The Vikings. The Vikings are the more desperate team right now. But it's not just that. That's not the only reason why I'm picking the Vikings to win. There's a couple other factors. The first one is this. The Vikings just got humiliated by the Bills. What was the biggest story this weekend? The biggest shock of the weekend was the Buffalo Bills annihilated the Vikings 27-6. Nobody saw that coming. It was humiliating for the Vikings. That's one reason. I think the Vikings are angry. They are eager to prove themselves. That was a fluke. We're not a bad team that got killed by the Buffalo Bills. The second factor is this. There's a horribly sad story, an emotional story. The Vikings, one of the Vikings team captains, Everson Griffin, is struggling with mental health. He's kind of having a mental breakdown. I feel for the guy. My brother had mental health issues. Um, it's, it's really rough. It's really rough. And I think this could go either way. This could either destroy the Vikings locker room, but what I think is actually going to happen is going to have the reverse effect. I think one of their captains going down, struggling with mental health, I think it's actually going to pull the team together. I think they're going to fight harder to win for their guy. I think that's an emotional thing. It brings guys together. Maybe not. Maybe it has the complete opposite effect. But I actually think this week on Thursday Night Football, it's going to bring the Vikings together locker room together. They're going to be like a band of brothers fighting for something, fighting for their guy, fighting to prove themselves because he's got humiliated. That Vikings locker room, I think is going to be really tight knit tomorrow night on Thursday night football. My third reason for this upset is this. The Rams is beat up. Aqib Talib is going to be out until Thanksgiving. Marcus Peters is questionable. I heard he's going to be out for several weeks. He might be, he maybe is going to play. I think they put him as questionable just so the Vikings don't know what, who to prepare for. Um, but right now, either way, the Rams' secondary is incredibly depleted. Akeed Talib is gone. You might not have Marcus Peters. That's both of your starting corners. Not to mention some of the linebackers are questionable. The Rams are not a fully healthy unit on defense. I'm really curious to see what happens. So the Rams are a better team. Like I, We can all acknowledge the Rams' roster on paper is better than the Vikings. But I think the Vikings are Desperate. I think the Vikings are gonna win this game. They're emotionally invested. They just got embarrassed. They're one one and one. So I'm picking the Vikings to beat the Rams on Thursday night football. So we'll go from Thursday night football. Let's go back in time to Monday night football. On Monday night football, the Steelers beat the Buccaneers 30 to 27. And the narrative that everybody ran with after this game was that Ryan Fitzpatrick's run is over. Fitz magic is done. It's depleted. It's gone. And, and yeah, we can all acknowledge the Buccaneers starting quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick had an incredible start to the season. In the first two weeks, the Buccaneers started 2-0. Ryan Fitzpatrick had over 8,800 yards passing, 400 in each game, and eight touchdowns. Now against the Steelers, Ryan Fitzpatrick came up short. He was not quite as good. He was still pretty good. But Ryan Fitzpatrick did not win, and he had three interceptions. That's really the big thing people are focusing on. Ryan Fitzpatrick had three interceptions, and the Buccaneers lost. So he was not as brilliant as he was in weeks one and two, but he was not terrible in week three. And I I really strongly do not believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick's success this year is over. I think he's going to continue to have some really good games down the road. I don't think this is the end of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yes, they lost one game, but let's break down what happened. Let's look at the statistics. Against the Steelers, he was 30 for 50 passing at 60% throwing. He had 411 yards, three touchdowns, and again, three interceptions. But let's look at those three interceptions. They were killers. They sucked. They really hurt the Buccaneers. But those three interceptions were not necessarily his fault. Um, after the game, Tim Hasselbeck, who works for ESPN, did a great job. Um, I'm going to cite some of his work because the way he broke down the interceptions was flawless and fantastic. So, Tim Touch talked about a one and two. He talked about two of the interceptions that I really liked. I liked what he said. He pointed out that on one of the interceptions, which was tipped up, the right tackle for the Buccaneers did not fan out. Uh, he did not pick up his protection. That guy came free at Ryan Fitzpatrick, got his hands up, tipped the pass. Pass is intercepted. If a pass is tipped, that is not Ryan Fitzpatrick's fault. Nothing you can do. It was actually the offensive line screw up. Poor Ryan Fitzpatrick. He got an interception that was not his fault. Now, another thing Tim Hasselbeck talked about after the game was, on another interception, Mike Evans, one of the receivers for the Buccaneers, simply stopped running. He's running across the middle of the field. He pulled up, found space in the middle rather than continuing his route. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw the ball where he was supposed to run. He didn't run there, so the pass was easily tipped off, uh, picked off. So you can argue, and I, I really believe firmly, two of Ryan Fitzpatrick's three interceptions were not his fault. And now that's the end. That's all I'm going to say from Tim Hasselbeck. Everything moving forward is my own thought. I think you can make an argument for the third interception as well. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw an ugly pick six. Uh, It was brutal. It was painful. I I put it on my Instagram story. Brutal with a a period. It was like, oh, man, that's rough. It, It stretched the game. It made the Steelers lead even greater. It was like a punch in the gut. If you were rooting for Ryan Fitzpatrick, I was. But I will say this. When that interception happened, Ryan Fitzpatrick was in a really tough spot. I feel like I'm making excuses. That's not my intention. I'm just trying to give you context. He had a guy in his face immediately, number 93, was bearing down, hit him as he threw. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick was trying to check down to his running back in the flat on the left side. He overthrew it. He missed, threw it high. Um, Not acceptable. But you also can argue, well, he's in his own end zone. Ryan Fitzpatrick was throwing the ball to avoid taking a safety. If he doesn't throw that pass, he gets sacked in the end zone. That's a safety. What do you do there? He tried to fit it in. High risk. (laughs) <laughs> he lost pretty badly. He didn't just get two points. He gave the Steelers seven points because he threw a pick six. But he, you can't do what he did. I'm not, a, I'm not trying to make excuses for Ryan Fitzpatrick, but you have to understand, if you want to make an argument defending Ryan Fitzpatrick, you can. You can make an argument. Two of the interceptions were not his fault, and you can make an argument that Ryan Fitzpatrick's third interception was also not his fault. I don't. I think it was. I think the third interception was his fault but you can still argue that it wasn't. There's an argument to be made there. The point is this. The narrative would change dramatically if Ryan Fitzpatrick had 411 yards, three touchdowns, and only the one interception, like he deserved to have. And even if he lost, uh, which I don't know that he would have. Remember that ball that was tipped in the red zone would probably become three points or maybe seven points, and then, oh, the Buccaneers would have won the game. It was 30-27 to that would have made it 34 to 30 or 30 to 30 going into overtime. This is why I don't believe we've seen the end of Ryan Fitzpatrick's success. Yes, it looked bad that they he had three interceptions. Two of them weren't his fault. And he still threw for over 400 yards against the Steelers. He's got 11 touchdowns in 3 weeks. We will see, but I think there's more success coming ahead for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, on a personal note, I thought the game was awesome. I loved seeing it. It was very up and down emotionally. And it's worth noting, the game ended 30-27. to 27. The Buccaneers almost came back and won the game. And, and then you say this, well, the Buccaneers had four turnovers and only lost to the Steelers by three points. A Hall of Fame quarterback, Big Ben. And with four turnovers, the Buccaneers still only lost by three points. That's encouraging. If I'm a Buccaneers fan, I go, oh. Fitzmagic isn't over. We just need to clean things up. And we're 3-0 rather than 2-1. Here's what I love about Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is my favorite thing. Before the game, there was just this energy in Tampa Bay. It just seems like everybody in Tampa Bay, that whole fan base rallies around Ryan Fitzpatrick. The, the beards in the stands, the energy in the stadium. It was so much fun to watch. It seems to me like Ryan Fitzpatrick is given Tampa Bay hope. It might be gone now. The energy might be gone. But before that game against the Steelers on Monday night football, I was watching on TV and I felt jazzed up. I felt pumped up. I don't know. We got to observe this cool relationship between Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan base. And to me, that's why sports are awesome. I just think that's so, so cool. And I want to repeat, I do not think we've heard the last of Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Buccaneers lost one game. Their season isn't over. Again, I'll say this till the day I die. They had four turnovers and they only lost by three points. That's hard to do. To have four turnovers and still be right in the game at the end? If I'm a Buccaneers fan, I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm excited. I feel good about this week. Because all you got to do is clean up those four turnovers and you probably blow out the Steelers. It's that close. So you can make an argument. Yeah, Fitzmagic is gone. Ryan Fitzpatrick, all his success is ending. And I would counter that with, well... They played a really, really bad game and still almost won. It's all about perspective. Okay, we have one more topic before we go to break. I want to say this. There are three teams. There are three teams that are 0-3 right now in the NFL. The Texans, the Raiders, and the Cardinals. And my question to you is: which 0-3 team is in the worst shape? That's when I started this topic, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. I know there's three teams that are 0-3. Which one of them is in the worst situation right now, and which one of them is in the best? So if you look at the Oakland Raiders, I want to examine the Raiders right now, soon to be the Vegas Raiders. The Raiders have three losses. They lost to the Rams, 13-33. to They lost to the Broncos, 19-20. to And the Raiders lost to the Dolphins, 28-20. to And what's interesting about all three of the Raiders' losses is that they had the lead at halftime. You can look at that as very encouraging, like, oh, these are competitive games. Or you can look at it as, wow, the Raiders are giving up leads at the end. Either way you look at it, a loss is a loss. But what it seems like to me is that the Raiders are not making good enough halftime adjustments, which is a solvable mistake. That's a fixable mistake. And by the way, I called that. I said that one of the things John Gruden was going to struggle with this year is technology and making adjustments mid-game because that's where the game has changed the most is the adjustments you make on the sideline and at halftime. But I think the Raiders, despite being 0-3, they're in a really good situation. They have John Gruden. He's going to figure things out. They have Derek Carr, who throws the ball incredibly. He's a good quarterback. And remember, they had the lead in all three of their losses at halftime. The Raiders have played incredibly competitive games. They might be 0-3, but it's the most encouraging 0-3 you can possibly be. So, I don't know. As far as 0-3 goes, the Raiders are in good shape. How about the Texans? The Texans lost to the Patriots 20-27. to They lost to the Titans 17-20. to And they lost to the Giants 22-27. All one-score games. Now, it's also worth noting, they trailed at halftime in every single one of these games. So the Texans are always coming from behind. They are playing from behind in all these games. But again, they're only losing by... One possession. That's encouraging as well. Especially when you give context that the offensive line for the Texans is playing awful. They are not playing well at all. Deshaun Watson has been hit 34 times in just three games. And because of the bad offensive line, Deshaun Watson is playing like he needs to be Superman. He's taking too many chances. He's overextending himself, trying to make every play work, similar to what Russell Wilson does in Seattle because he does not have the help around him that he needs. Now, it's worth noting, Deshaun Watson needs to improve pre-snap, right? He needs to make better decisions. He needs to learn how to change the play. He needs to know when to give up on a play, yada, yada. But I am not worried about Deshaun Watson. I think he's going to progress. I, I actually have hope for the Texans. The Texans might be 0-3, but they've lost every game by one possession. And they've got a good quarterback, a young quarterback who's learning, who's going to progress. But you gotta, what you got to do if you are a Texans fan, you must help your young quarterback with an offensive line. He's, he's got injuries in the past. That's the number one concern for the Texans is their offensive line. How about the Arizona Cardinals? The Cardinals are 0-3. They lost to the Redskins 24-6. They never had a lead in the game. It was a blowout. The Cardinals lost to the Rams 34 to nothing. Never once had a lead, obviously, because they never even scored. But then what happened in week three is the Cardinals played the Bears and got out to a 14-0 lead. Now, they did fall apart. Sam Bradford threw two interceptions. Eventually, the Cardinals put in Josh Rosen. He threw an interception as well. But 16-14, losing to the Bears. At one point, having a lead, that's not that discouraging of a loss either. And here's why I'm not too worried about the the Cardinals. The Cardinals have a rookie quarterback. They're going to develop. So, which of these three teams is doing the best? Between the Raiders, the Cardinals, and the Texans, which one is in the best situation? The Raiders are in the best shape. As far as an 0-3 team goes, solid coach, solid quarterback. They've had leads in the past. They've just been losing in the second half. They need to make better adjustments. But the Raiders, I would be encouraged if I was the Raiders. Now, the Cardinals are the second team that I would... I think the Texans are the worst. Of all these three 0-3 teams, the Texans are in the worst case situation. But I want to start with the Cardinals. I'm not too worried about the Cardinals. I'm not expecting them to win a lot this year anyways. They have a rookie quarterback they just need to develop their kid. There's no pressure on the Cardinals to win games. Nobody has high expectations of the Arizona Cardinals this year. Again, they're starting a rookie quarterback. And really, the truth is, the worse that the Cardinals do, the better draft pick they get next year. So I like the move that they made by starting Josh Rose and let him get reps. He's going to get beat up. He's going to have all kinds of interceptions. It's going to be ugly. And not beat up physically. I mean, he's going to take his lumps. He's going to get sacked. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to throw bad passes. But let's learn from those mistakes now. And guess what? While he's playing badly, every time you lose, you're getting closer and closer to a better draft pick next year. Now, the Texans are the worst off 0-3 team. They're in the worst situation. They have a bad offensive line. And the Texans have a quarterback who's coming off of an injury. My fear is I don't want Deshaun Watson to become the next Andrew Luck, to have a bad offensive line, to never be healthy because you're always injured and running for your life. Again, Deshaun Watson has been hit 34 times in just three games. That's terrible. That's horrible. That is why the Texans are the worst off. They're putting their quarterback in danger by not giving him an offensive line. I don't know. I'm not... I I would be encouraged before the Texans because they've lost every game by one possession, but that offensive line is scary. And if I'm a Texans fan, I'm concerned you're going to ruin our franchise quarterback before he ever really gets a chance to start his career. Got hurt last year. Could he get hurt again this year because he's running for his life? I don't know. But I really am concerned about the Texans offensive line. All right. I'm gonna take a short break. When I return, I'm gonna do the Deadly Dozen. We're gonna talk about college quarterbacks. We're gonna do Zach as a Genius, my three favorite segments. We're also gonna talk about hitting quarterbacks. There's a bunch of new rule changes, and people are freaking out, they're mad about this and that. I want to share my opinion on the NFL rules as they apply to hitting quarterbacks. And are the Patriots okay? The Patriots are one and two, and they're mm, they got really badly beaten on Sunday night football. What's the takeaway from the Patriots? I'm going to share my thoughts on the Patriots coming up ahead. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Shomler. I will be right all right, we are back. Uh, let's do the Deadly Dozen. The Deadly Dozen is what I do. It is my answer to, instead of doing NFL power rankings, because I think it's kind of pointless to do the top 10 teams in the NFL if some of them don't make the playoffs. So what I do is my top 12 teams. I do six teams from the AFC, six teams from the NFC. Which 12 teams are going to make up the playoff picture? I do it after every week. Let's start in the AFC. My first team, I have them winning the NFC, the AFC West is the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, it's a long season, but they look incredible. Patrick Mahomes has 13 touchdowns through three weeks. I think the Chiefs are going to win their division. I think they're the best team in the AFC. My second team, I have the Jaguars winning the AFC South. I very hesitantly put the Jaguars here. Uh, Blake Bortles really struggled this week. He, the, the Titans only put up nine points, and for whatever reason, Blake Bortles was still unable to beat them. Uh, that's concerning to me. I have the Ravens winning the AFC North. Look, the, NFC, the AFC North is a mess. Who do you trust? I trust almost no one. I don't trust Andy Dalton. He screwed up at four interceptions this week. I don't trust the Steelers. So I guess I'm left with Joe Flacco and the Ravens. Like, what do you do? And the Steelers locker room is a mess. The, the Bengals have Andy Dalton, a quarterback who's entirely undependable. My last resort is, okay, the, the Ravens have to make the playoffs. I'm betting that the Patriots are going to figure things out. I'm picking the Patriots to win the AFC East. I love the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are a playoff team no matter what, but I think the Patriots are, have a better quarterback, better coach. I, I'm still picking the Patriots to win their division, even though they're 1-2 and two right now. Now, the, my card team's the AFC. I'm at the Dolphins being a card team. I love the Dolphins. I love their coach. I love their quarterback. I love their defense. Their division is—they could even win their division. It's very possible they could upset the Patriots, and the Dolphins could win the AFC East. My second wild card team in the AFC is the LA Chargers. I know they're one and two. I know a lot of people aren't as high on them as I am. But look at the teams they lost to. They lost to the Chiefs and they lost to the Rams. Two of the best teams in all of football right now. And if you look ahead at the next five games for the Chargers, they could go on a 5-0 and run. They play the 49ers, the Raiders, the Browns, the Titans, and the Seahawks. All highly, highly winnable games, especially for a team like the Chargers. Now, there are two teams I dropped out of my deadly dozen in the AFC. I left the Bengals aside. I don't trust Andy Dalton. He had four interceptions this week, and that's just not acceptable. You can't do that. He's on a short leash, so I bailed. I said, that's four four interceptions too many. I'm done with you, Andy Dalton. I don't believe in you. Now, a team that's still out. I've never believed in the Steelers this year. Their locker room is a mess, and their turmoil continues. I still do not have the Steelers making the playoffs yet this year. We'll see what happens. They finally got a win against the Buccaneers, but I'm not a big believer in the Steelers. Now, in the NFC, these are my playoff teams uh, in the NFC. I have the Rams winning the NFC West. I love them. I love the Rams. They're the best team in football. Pretty much enough said. They're fantastic. I think the Eagles are going to win the NFC East. They're a great team. They're a great roster, have a great coach, and they have Carson Wentz, who has returned. He's still improving. He's not at 100%, but I still believe in the Eagles. Their division's pretty weak. The Redskins don't look that great. The Cowboys don't look that great. The Giants don't look that great. There's a lot of mediocre teams in that division. I am picking the Eagles to win their division. Now the Saints, the Saints are two and one. Uh, they had a huge win over the Falcons last week. I'm picking the Saints to win the NFC South. A big reason is because I think the Saints are a better team than the Panthers. I like the Buccaneers. I just don't trust them enough yet. And the Falcons have too many injuries. The Falcons now have enough injuries that I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. Now, I'm picking the Vikings to win the NFC North. Aaron Rodgers is hurt. I want to ask you, do you really trust Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback? I do not. I am picking the Vikings to win the NFC North. Now, my two wildcard teams in the NFC, I have the Buccaneers. I like them a lot. I think they're not going to decline. I'm really a believer in Ryan Fitzpatrick. They had four turnovers last week, and they only lost by three points to the Pittsburgh Steelers and a Hall of Fame quarterback, Big Ben. I think the Buccaneers are massively, massively underappreciated. They're a team that could even make the playoffs. Their offense is fantastic. And I'm still leaving the Packers in the playoffs, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers is hurt. It makes me highly skeptical, but it's still Aaron Rodgers. So I'm putting the Packers as my last team in the NFC to make the playoffs as a wild card seed. Remember, these are the deadly dozen. Let me read them again. In the AFC, I have the Chiefs, the Jaguars, the Ravens and the Patriots winning their division. My two wild teams in the AFC are the Dolphins and the Chargers. And in the NFC, I have the Rams, the Eagles, the Saints and the Vikings all winning their respective divisions with the Buccaneers and the Packers as wild card teams. That has been the deadly dozen. <clears throat> all right. Um let's do another another segment. One of this is really my favorite. This is Zach is a genius. Uh, It's a joke. It's self-deprecating. I'm obviously not a genius. I screw up all the time. I want you to to imagine me with a wiffle ball bat. I, I make strong opinions all the time. I take big swings. Sometimes I completely miss. Sometimes I hit home runs. Sometimes I nail it. Sometimes I miss. This is Zach is a genius. Let's start with something I nailed. I nailed it with the Miami Dolphins. I've been saying all year, the Dolphins are legit. So far, they're 3-0. They lead their division. Now, the Patriots this Sunday are a big, big test for the Miami Dolphins. That's a huge game this weekend. But Ryan Tannehill's playing great. I'm a big believer in Ryan Tannehill. I think he's better than people realize. He's just making good decisions. That's what matters as a quarterback. Now, I was critical of him last week. Not critical. I said that he does not have a huge arm. He's not flashy. And some guy commented... He's like, well, he can throw a good deep ball. I want you to understand arm strength and a deep ball are not the same. He had a good deep ball this week. It does not mean that Ryan Tannehill can't throw the ball really far. It just means he doesn't have a cannon. He can't drive the ball through wind and sleet and snow like a guy named Brett Favre or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Ryan Tannehill does not have the biggest arm in the NFL, but he's making great decisions. I have been a believer in the Dolphins all year. Looks like so far I'm nailing it with that something I really missed I totally took a huge swing I missed badly with Josh Allen I was really concerned when the Bills made Josh Allen their starter I said it was going to be a total disaster uh well uh the Bills smacked the Vikings and Josh Allen played great highly efficient played a really good game so looks like I just totally missed on Josh Allen and the Bills. We'll see how they progress. That's only one game. Maybe the Vikings just checked out and were terrible, but so far it looks like I completely missed on Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. Now I nailed it with Andrew Luck. This week, Andrew Luck and the Colts were about to throw Hail Mary, and the Colts actually took Andrew Luck out of the game. They put in the backup quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. Here's my takeaway from that. I said you needed to give Andrew Luck until November or December. His arm strength is not at 100%. And it showed they didn't trust him to throw a Hail Mary like 80 yards down the field because Jacoby Brissett's arm is in a better situation right now than Andrew Luck's. I w- I nailed it on that. I said, look, Andrew Luck is going to be fine at some point, but don't expect a lot from him early. Give him time till November or December before you expect big arm strength throws from Andrew Luck. Here's something I totally missed on. A big miss this week was Blake Bortles. Ah. I don't know what to make of this guy. I said he was finally figuring it out. I was so excited. He killed it against the Patriots last week. And then on Sunday against the Titans, Blake Bortles totally laid an egg. He was horrible. Um, Not horrible. He just couldn't score points. He couldn't get the ball in the end zone. He couldn't convert third downs. The Titans only scored nine points. And the Jaguars still lost. If your defense holds a team to nine points, you got to win the game. And Blake Bortles was unable to win the game I missed on Blake Bortles. I thought he was finally figuring things out. Apparently, I was wrong. Here's something I nailed. I nailed it with Patrick Mahomes. Before the season, I took a chance. I said that Patrick Mahomes was a great, wonderful quarterback. And uh, so far into the year, three games into the year, he has 13 touchdowns. He set an NFL record. Looks like I nailed it with Patrick Mahomes. I told you. I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. Patrick Mahomes is unbelievable. I took a chance. I knew there was a reason why the Chiefs traded away Alex Smith. It's not because Patrick Mahomes is a bad quarterback they can't play. I nailed it with Patrick Mahomes. I'm really proud of this one. Here's something I missed. I screwed up when I said something about Baker Mayfield. I said that Baker Mayfield made zero bad decisions on Thursday night against the Jets. It's worth noting, Baker Mayfield did make one mistake against the Jets. I was overzealous. I made a statement that was wrong. There was a play where Baker Mayfield should have been intercepted in the end zone, and uh, I, I just screwed up. And I think it's very important that I admit when I screw up. That's how I build rapport with you guys. Uh, that's why I do this segment. You know, I, I enjoy pointing out things that I'm right about, things that I, I nail, but for the most part, it's really important to admit when I miss things, when I'm totally wrong. And so my hope is that this segment, Zach is a genius, the self-deprecating joke, because I'm not a genius. I get things wrong all the time. My hope is that this segment helps me build credibility with you guys and so you understand I know that I'm wrong about things. I'm willing to be wrong. I'd rather take chances and be wrong than be, you know, bland vanilla sports and it's uninteresting and it's boring. So that is what the segment is. I hope you enjoy it. This has been Zach is a genius. Okay, remember every week, this is my favorite part of Wednesdays. This is the segment I just can't wait for. Um, It's when we get to talk about college quarterbacks. I look at them from an NFL perspective if I'm an NFL scout, if I'm an NFL general manager, if I'm looking, because here's the thing. Tim Tebow was not a great NFL prospect. He would not have been talked about in this segment because Tim Tebow from day one was not a guy that was going to do great things and have a long career in the NFL. I don't talk about guys that are great college quarterbacks. I talk about quarterbacks in college that I think are going to be successful in the NFL. <clears throat> so want, with that, I want to talk about Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley is a senior quarterback at NC State And uh, Ryan Finley's just not going away. I I keep thinking that eventually Ryan Finley is going to get talked about less. And I sort of wrote him off after his first game against an early game in the year against Georgia State. Ryan Finley missed a lot of reads. He was ugly, made some bad decisions. I totally wrote Ryan Finley off. But commenters and people in the media, everyone keeps talking about Ryan Finley. I feel like I need to share my thoughts on him. Uh, Here's the lowdown on Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's a lot of Ryan Finley. There's a lot of good stuff with Ryan Finley, the NC State quarterback. There's also a lot of bad stuff. Let's start with the bad stuff. Randomly out of nowhere, he'll just make boneheaded throws. Throws that I go, what are you doing? What are you reading? And here's what I noticed about Ryan Finley. First of all, he has a tendency to throw balls up for grabs. If he's about to get sacked, if he's getting hit on a play, he'll just throw the ball up in the middle of the field for no reason. It's ugly. It's not good. That's a terrible, terrible habit that will not serve you well in the NFL. You want to step into pressure and take hits as you throw. What you don't want to do is throw off your back foot as you're getting thrown to the ground and just throw balls up for grabs in the middle of the field. That is at times that Ryan Finley does. He'll throw up one-on-one, one-and-one ball, like 50-50 balls, and they get picked off or they get tipped to the ground, and sometimes they get caught. But it's a dangerous, dangerous habit I would not want to develop if I was Ryan Finley. Here's another thing Ryan Finley does that I'm really wary of. He often misses linebackers in the middle of the field. For whatever reason, he just has a blind spot in the middle of the field. The messier the field is in the middle, this is really the best way to put it. He really struggles when the field is messy. When there's a lot going on in his read, the more people he has to read, the more he struggles. So when Ryan Finley throws a ball down the sideline, it's a one-on-one. There's only two people he's looking at. Very simple. He excels. He throws great passes down the sideline. He's got a great arm strength. But in the middle of the field, when it gets more muddled, when it gets kind of messy in the middle of the field, Ryan Finley struggles to make reads, struggles to make decisions and often misses linebackers. It's not good. That's a bad habit for a potential NFL quarterback. And here's the good about Ryan Finley. Here's what I love about Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley's arm strength, I know I've said his name a lot, is fantastic. He's better than Jarrett Stidham at Auburn. He's better than Jake Browning, better than Joe Burrow. He has an NFL caliber arm. Um, Now, I do believe he needs to sit in the NFL for a year, but if he gets a year in a program like the Patriots or the Saints or I name any team that has a veteran quarterback, I think Finley could be a good NFL quarterback. He just needs time. He needs to work on reading the middle of the field, reading muddled plays and linebackers. He struggles with that, but his arm strength is fantastic. He's got some moments where he throws really great NFL throws. But he's also got some moments where he throws bonehead interceptions in the middle of the field that I just can't answer for and are weird to me. So he's good. Uh, But I don't know. I think it's interesting that most NFL teams already have quarterbacks. And so that's going to help him because he can go somewhere and sit for a year, maybe two years, and learn and develop. Because if you give him time in the NFL, give him time to develop, he could really turn into a great quarterback. He's got all the tools. He just needs to work on reading the field, especially in the middle because the more muddled it is, the messier he makes his reads, and often he misses linebackers. It's not good. Now, Justin Herbert. Wow, Justin Herbert made a huge impression on me against Stanford. Uh, against Stanford, Justin Herbert was 26 for 33, had 346 yards, one touchdown, had an interception, but it was on a garbage time play. It didn't really matter. Um, it was a you know, last desperation effort. Uh, here's the thing. Justin Herbert's performance against Stanford – is quite frankly the best NFL performance we've seen all year. As far as from an NFL perspective, Justin Herbert's game against Stanford is the best any college quarterback has played all year. It was fantastic. I don't want to sit on it too long. I did talk about it at length on Monday. But what I love from Justin Herbert is his ability to move within the pocket, to slide right to slide left, to create throwing lanes with his movement right or left and around the pass rush. He never panicked. He never ran to escape the pocket. He slid within the pocket to move around and get open. And that's rare because a guy like him, Justin Herbert can run. He can move. He has a great ability to use his legs, but he only does it when he needs to. He's still very adept at sliding around in the pocket, kind of what Drew Brees does actually. Drew Brees uses his great athletic ability to move within the pocket and That is what Justin Herbert does at Oregon. He really elevated his teammates. I thought Oregon was significantly outmatched against Stanford. Stanford has better athletes, and Oregon really does not have great wide receivers, and yet with ball placement, with really great throws, with great reads, great decisions, Justin Herbert elevated his teammates at Oregon and actually got Oregon to overtime. They lost to Stanford, but he made it quite a game, and that's because of Justin Herbert. Now— Um, I just want to say I completely undervalue Justin Herbert. I was wrong. I heard all all, all season, all season, all off season, all leading up to the year, I've heard Justin Herbert is the best quarterback in college football, and um, you know I I agree with that now. I was wrong. Uh, He probably is the best NFL prospect in all of college football, and that's not an overreaction. I just was very reserved. I kept saying, I want to see it. I want to see it. I'll wait for proof. I'll wait for proof, and we got proof. I said, I'll wait until I see it from Justin Herbert. I did on Saturday against Stanford. Justin Herbert is the real deal. He is the best quarterback prospect from an NFL perspective in all of college football. Justin Herbert is legit. How about Drew Locke? Drew Locke is the quarterback for Missouri. And uh, this Saturday, Drew Locke played Georgia. And I compared Justin Herbert's performance and Drew Lock because both of them were playing teams that are significantly better than their raw uh, better than their team. They were playing rosters and were outmatched. And where Justin Herbert excelled, Drew Locke was far more pedestrian. Drew Locke was not bad. He was, you know, 23 for 48, which is a 48% completion percentage. He had 221 yards passing. He had no touchdowns, did run for one, but he also had an interception. That was not his fault, by the way. He had an interception that was tipped But I did not expect Drew Locke to beat Georgia. Georgia's one of the best teams in all of college football. Nobody thought Missouri was going to upset Georgia. But I will say it's really hard to watch Justin Herbert elevate his team, play so well, and carry Oregon to a competitive game against Stanford. And when you contrast that with Drew Locke struggling against Georgia, it's hard to live up to that. It's hard to go, ooh, I feel really good about Drew Locke because I don't think Drew Locke did anything wrong. But Justin Herbert significantly outshined Drew Locke this week. He made made Drew Locke look bad. And something I still haven't seen from Drew Locke, to this point, I still have not seen Drew Locke go from his first, second, and then to his third and fourth reads. He rarely gets all the way through his progression. Again, a lot of that's arm strength. A lot of that's his ability to get guys open. He doesn't need to come off reads. But I really haven't seen a high level of Understanding the defenses from Drew Lock, he's not bad. I'm not criticizing him too much, but where Will Greer and Gardner Minshew actually at Washington State and Justin Herbert, these guys are getting all the way through their progressions. We just have not seen that yet from Drew Lock, and I I'm not trying to hold it against him, but I want to see him do get deeper in his progressions. I don't understand what it is he's usually thrown to his first or second read, and I want to see him progress later in his reads. Now. Another thing I want to say about Drew Locke is that he's not great in a messy pocket. Where, again, a guy like Gardner Minshew at Washington State actually really impressed me. Justin Herbert, these guys in the Pac-12 are moving around and they within the pocket. They're stepping right, they're stepping left, they're creating throwing lanes. Drew Locke does not do that. He's largely a statue. He largely stays put and uh, often he can get away with it. He had a lot of time to throw against Georgia But I want to see just, there's another level of polish I'm not seeing from Drew Locke. I'm not seeing a guy that moves comfortably in the pocket. I'm not seeing a guy who gets to his third and fourth read. And so I want to see those things before I elevate Drew Locke to being a top quarterback in this draft class. Uh, Here's what I loved about Drew Locke. A tough loss to Georgia. He kept fighting through the entire game. He didn't have a touchdown pass. He ran for one at the end of the game. I thought that was so cool. He just kept fighting all game. And that's what's, It really shouldn't be understated. It's easy to get discouraged when you're getting your butt kicked. And he just kept fighting and kept Missouri hanging around. And that's what I really want to commend Drew Locke from is he didn't have a lot of touchdown passes. They ran the ball pretty well, actually. Um, But he kept fighting and he kept Missouri hanging around. And it is worth noting, even though they didn't win, even though they weren't as competitive as Oregon was with Stanford, Missouri hung around with Georgia. And that's because of Drew Locke and his continued effort to keep fighting throughout the game. <clears throat> I mentioned this earlier. I rarely talk about Washington State football, but I want to talk about their quarterback. Gardner Minshew is a senior quarterback at Washington State, and uh, he's, he's wonderful. I, I really have been impressed with him. He's got solid arm strength. He's above average with his arm talent. He's not, a, he's not Drew Locke. He's not Justin Herbert, but he's got a pretty good arm. He's actually got an NFL arm better than Jared Stidham and some of these other guys. But what Gardner Minshew is doing, that actually many quarterbacks in in college football are not, is his ability to identify coverages. He is getting to his third and fourth read. He's working all the way across the field. He's moving around. He's doing things and recognizing defenses in ways that many college quarterbacks do not do. There was a play against USC this week where USC brought the house. They blitzed. And Gardner Minshew hung in there, threw the ball. So the, the linebacker came. Linebacker blitzed. Gardner Minshew threw the ball where that guy once was and actually threw a touchdown on a post. <clears throat> it was highly, highly impressive to me. It showed a great understanding of the defense and that is what Gardner Minshew does so well. Is uh, Nobody really watches Gardner Minshew. No one's talking about him nationally. I've watched every single snap. I, I work at games for him. I watch everything he does. He is getting really, really good at recognizing coverages. He's getting good at decision-making, execution. And he's got a kind of a an ability to extend plays that most quarterbacks don't. You know, When Will Greer gets out of the pocket, I cringe. When Jake Browning runs around outside of the pocket, I cringe. When Drew Locke runs outside of the pocket, I cringe. I say, don't do that. Don't extend plays. You guys aren't good at that. Gardner Minshew has an ability to extend plays similar to what Aaron Rodgers does, actually. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Gardner Minshew actually got a chance at the NFL. He's better than Luke Falk was last year. Luke Falk is a legendary quarterback at Washington State. Gardner Minshew's playing at a higher level, doing different stuff with defenses, showing a greater understanding and a greater ability to read defenses. It cannot be understated. Nobody's paying attention to Gardner Minshew at Washington State. He is fantastic. He's doing a great job reading defenses. He looks like Will Greer, and it's no one notices, and they will eventually because he really is doing a great job understanding coverages. And that's where we go to Will Greer. Will Greer is a West Virginia quarterback. Look, this guy's having just an incredible season. He had a highly average game against Kansas State and still won 35 to 6. So against Kansas State, Will Greer was 25 for 35, 356 yards passing, five touchdowns and two interceptions. I know he's frustrated about those interceptions, but I'm just continually impressed every time I watch Will Greer at his ability to move through his progressions. First read, second read, third read, fourth read, check down. He's just getting all the way across. And it kind of looks like 7-on-7 for Will Greer. His mental capacity of understanding defenses is unreal. I do wonder about Will Greer's arm strength. Um, It's not how far he can throw. I know Will Greer can throw the ball far enough. It's can he drive the ball between defenders in the middle of the field. I don't know that Will Greer— For example, I would compare him to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has a much stronger arm than Will Greer. And I, I just am concerned. I don't know if I may be watching too many other quarterbacks, but when you compare Will Greer to Tua uh, and Drew Locke and Justin Herbert or Ryan Finley, Will Greer does not have as strong an arm as any of those guys. And I would not want him to play in cold weather like Pittsburgh or you know Cleveland, Cincinnati or Cleveland. I don't know that he has a top or Buffalo. I don't know that I want a guy like Will Greer playing in those conditions because his arm strength simply isn't as high as it could be. He's fine. He's adequate. He'll play in the NFL. But he's got to be in a warmer climate because his arm strength does not allow for high level driving of the ball between defenders across the middle of the field, especially in cold weather. He also makes me nervous because he's a Big 12 quarterback. It's, it's also worth noting, Will Greer's guys are often wide open. He's not throwing guys open, he's not throwing def- with guys with defenders draped over them. Will Greer's hitting guys that are open by five yards. And I'm curious, how will it look when the windows shrink? We don't really know. That's why it's so hard to predict how good quarterbacks will be. But we saw Andrew Luck in college throwing guys open. We saw Carson Wentz. We saw even Sam Darnold, love him or hate him. Baker Mayfield's a great example. He was throwing the ball into really tight windows. Will Greer is not throwing the ball into really tight windows. He's doing everything correct mentally. But I want to see more from Will Greer before I'm ready to say, yeah, he's the best quarterback in this draft class. Right now, it's actually Justin Herbert. How about JT Daniels, the USC quarterback? USC beat Washington State 39-36 to 36 on Saturday. Friday night, actually. Here's the coolest thing I saw from JT Daniels, the freshman quarterback. He's 18 years old. He is unflappable. Nothing phases this kid. Um, he's not very polished. He misses a lot of throws. He's got some really choppy, ugly footwork. But despite all of his moments where he struggles... JT Daniels continually makes very confident, high-level throws. He'll miss a throw. He'll miss one here. He'll throw a bad throw. He'll miss a read, yada, yada. His confidence is never shaken, and that is so impressive from JT Daniels. Yes, we need to see a lot of improvement from him, but right now he's playing quite well despite his struggles, despite the fact he's a young kid with a lot of improvement to do. Uh, Against Washington State, JT Daniels was 17 for 26, had 241 yards passing and three touchdowns. They had to come from behind victory, and USC beat Washington State largely because of, A, their ability to run the ball, but, B, because of JT Daniels. Now, again, it's worth noting, against Texas, USC only ran for negative 5 yards. Against Washington State, their offensive line was much more dominant. They had 80 yards on the first drive, I believe, and 113 yards total. That is a big deal. If you give JT Daniels a running game, just a little bit, he can be quite successful, but you need to give him some tools because he's still a young freshman quarterback who does need help. But again, I'm excited for the future. I really like what JT Daniels is doing, and I think he's got some pretty good potential. Tua. Tua Tungavaloa at Alabama. Um, he played great against Texas AM. Every time I watch Tua, I am continually astounded. He just, he's unreal. He's got a great deep ball but he's disciplined he's not trying to throw the ball deep every time he takes what the defense gives him he's trying to make the right read he prioritizes making the right read that is so so impressive from Tua Tua will be a number 1 pick at some point i'm convinced tua is a special quarterback he makes special reads he's special with his feet special with his arm tua is a different level quarterback he's the best quarterback maybe in the nation i think i think Justin Herbert's more polished but Tua would go to the Cowboys right now and, and make a difference. I believe. I think he's that good, and I'm really excited to watch him progress and see where he goes. Because, man, if uh, Tua, I think Tua, I think Tua Tungavloa is a special special quarterback. Okay, we're gonna do rapid fire. There are four quarterbacks I want to talk about. Uh, Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback, he's just average. You know, he was 16 for 28, had 191 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Joe Burrow, LSU's quarterback, is a game manager. That is what we've learned from him after four weeks in college football. I like him. I don't hate him. Um, But Alabama's going to beat LSU this year because LSU's quarterback, Joe Burrow, cannot win you games. He won't lose you games with mistakes. He's kind of like Alex Smith. But Joe Burrow cannot win you games. Jarrett Stidham at Auburn had kind of a pedestrian game against Arkansas. Look, Auburn killed Arkansas. I don't. I don't know. I just. I don't know what to take away from this game. It's not very much. He had. He was 15 for 22, 134 yards passing, no touchdowns, no interceptions, ran for a touchdown. Um, it's worth noting. I am cooling on Jerrod Stidham quite a bit because the cream is rising around him, and Jarrett Stidham's still staying where he is. I think he's a guy that is going to be a second round, second or third round draft pick that needs to sit for a year. I'm not super super high on Jarrett Stidham. Jake Browning, the Washington uh, quarterback, the quarterback at UW, um, I just, he's good at operating. He's a system type quarterback. Je- the one thing that Jake Browning at UW does that I don't like is he needs to start stepping up in the pocket. When Jake Browning runs backwards and tries to make plays by escaping backwards, It never works. It goes wrong. He loses yards. He throws interceptions. We need to see if Jake Browning wants to be a legitimate NFL prospect. He needs to start stepping up in the pocket rather than running backwards. Eli Manning steps up in the pocket. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, these guys that win in the pocket step up. And right now, Jake Browning's running backwards and it's not working. Finally, there's a guy you need to pay attention to. I've been saying this for two weeks now. Cole McDonald, the Hawaii quarterback, is going massively under the radar. He has 20 touchdowns and one interception. I understand he's playing against Mountain West teams, but Cole McDonald, the Hawaii quarterback, is very talented. He's very special, and he's worth paying attention to. He's only a sophomore. He's going to get a shot at the NFL. I think he'd be great in a system like the Patriots. Pay attention to Cole McDonald. At some point, he is going to be an NFL prospect that people are going to talk about. Put him on your list now. At some point, he's going to be a big deal. All right, let's rank the quarterbacks. I'm going to rank 10 of the quarterbacks. I'm leaving Cole McDonald off the list. I'm leaving JT Daniels off the list. They're too young. Um, I don't feel comfortable. It's too early for them, but I do like them. So my number one quarterback in the nation as of right now in college is Justin Herbert. He's the best quarterback prospect right now. He is fantastic. He moves around. He makes precision throws. He has great touch, great accuracy. Justin Herbert is the best quarterback in all of college football. Now, Will Greer is my second quarterback. I am putting him second because of his decision-making. His ability to read defenses is uncanny. Um, And I really, I want to put two... I'm putting Gardner Minshew at fifth on the list, but Gardner Minshew and Will Greer are very similar quarterbacks. And I think Gardner Minshew at Washington State might have a... He might be even better at reading defenses than Will Greer is. I don't know. Uh, But don't forget the name Gardner Minshew. So, Justin Herbert's one. Will Greer is two. I'm putting Tua Tungvaloa at three. He's a special quarterback. Decision-making his a physical ability. He's an incredible quarterback. Drew Locke is my fourth quarterback in the nation. <sighs> I, I love his physical ability, but I want to see better decision-making. I want to see his ability to move within the pocket. We need to see more if Drew Locke is going to move up in this ranking. Gardner Minshew is my fifth quarterback in the nation. I know it's interesting. I, He kind of came out of nowhere. I've been watching him for four weeks, and he just... Every single week continues to impress me. His ability to understand blitzes, to understand where the holes are in the defense, to have the comfort to not just work through his progression. He's not a statue back there. He slides and moves his eyes with his slide. Gardner Minshew is one of the better quarterbacks in the entire nation right now, and nobody knows who he is. Gardner Minshew is going to get a chance at the NFL. I believe that, and I think he might be ready. Ryan Finley is my sixth quarterback in the nation. Um... Look, he's got all the physical tools. He just doesn't make good decisions all the time. He struggles at reading linebackers. When the field is messy in the middle, he struggles to make good decisions. So I like Ryan Finley. He needs a year to sit before he's really going to be a viable NFL quarterback. Steven Montez from Colorado is my seventh-ranked quarterback in the nation. Um, Look, he's making a lot of NFL throws. That's why he's on this list. He's not played high-level competition. He had a week off last week. Um, but he could very quickly climb this list if he keeps it up. The things that Stephen Montez are doing—he's got the second best deep ball in the NFL. For ex- in college football, for example, Stephen Montez is a fantastic prospect. Another guy in the Pac-12 that's kind of under the radar. My seven, uh, my eight, nine, and ten quarterbacks are Jared Stidham is eight, Jake Browning is nine, and Joe Burrow is ten. I'm really cooling on these guys. I'm not into Jake Browning. I don't believe Joe Burrow is an NFL quarterback, and I think Jarrett Stidham is going to get a chance somewhere, Uh, but I think he needs a year to sit to learn and really polish up as a passer. He's not making a lot of NFL throws, Uh, and that's kind of where I see, again, my list is Justin Herbert, one, Will Greer, two, Tua is three, Drew Locke is fourth, Gardner Minshew, Washington State's quarterback, is fifth in the nation, Ryan Finley at NC State is sixth, Steven Montez is seventh, Jarrett Stidham, eight. Joe Burrow nine and sorry, Jake Browning nine. Joe Burrow at LSU is 10th. He's far less than 10th. I just, he's the one I talk about because he grabbed my attention. I'm probably gonna stop talking about Joe Burrow because I just don't see enough from him to think he's a great NFL prospect. Whew. That's a long segment. That's a long-winded one. I feel like I I just talked so quick. Um I have two things left I want to talk about. In the preseason, I kept saying that defensive linemen were overrated. And, uh, you know, defensive players in general have really lost their value because of the rules that the NFL have changed. The rules, the new NFL rules protect quarterbacks. And at the same time, they simultaneously make defensive linemen and really anybody who rushes the passer far less valuable. Now, we've seen some ridiculous roughing the passer plays or roughing the quarterback plays. Alex Smith was sacked this week, and I just don't understand why that was a penalty at all. Apparently, you can't land on quarterbacks at all. But what I take away from this is that, yes, the rules are unfair. I saw Gerald McCoy get a flag on Monday Night Football. I thought it was ridiculous. Clay Matthews keeps getting penalized for no reason. Um, but what we've learned from the new rules is that defensive players just are not as valuable as they once were. You can hate the rules. You can love them. No matter what your opinion is on the rules, the effect is— defensive linemen are less valuable. This is why I said I would not pay Khalil Mack the money he wanted. And, uh, I mean, guys need to accept the new rules. I'll point out, it's interesting. Um, The rules were created to make quarterbacks safer and keep them healthier. And my theory is that I think NFL owners must have complained, guys who were losing their quarterbacks. You know, if you're the owner of the Titans and Marcus Mariota is out for the year because he's getting nailed repeatedly, I'm like, hey, can we change something? Because every year my quarterback gets hurt and it ruins our season. It hurts sales, hurts interest in our program. You need to have quarterbacks healthy. That is how the NFL makes money. And so I think that's why they're emphasizing the rules so heavily to protect quarterbacks. Now, it's kind of ironic. The only coach that's really spoken out against the NFL rules uh, against hitting quarterbacks is actually Mike McCarthy, the Packers head coach. Um, and I think it's interesting. There's a reason why no quarterbacks or no, no coaches in the NFL have been very vocal speaking out against these rules is because they understand without a quarterback, my job is in danger. I think most head coaches realize without their starting quarterback, they're out of a job. They could not win. And so that's why most guys are not being heavily critical of the NFL rules against hitting quarterbacks, whether they love it for their defense They can appreciate the value because it keeps them in job security. It keeps their season alive. If your quarterback gets hurt, your season is ruined. And that's why it's pretty interesting when Mike McCarthy talks about how he hates the NFL rules that protect quarterbacks. It's like you do understand that without Aaron Rodgers, if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt repeatedly, he gets nailed. The Packers season is over. And Mike McCarthy does not seem to appreciate the benefit the rules give his own team, the Packers. Now, um, I, I do think that a lot of it's unfair. A lot of the rules, I, I, I couldn't play defense in the NFL. I have no idea. I see Alex Smith get tackled this weekend. I go, that's a dumb rule. It's inconsistent. I don't understand. But I don't think it matters. I think guys need to accept the rules and, and learn to find a way to live within the rules because whatever reason, they might be unfair, but they're also not going to change. The last thing I want to say is this. The Patriots right now are 1-2. And uh, I have nothing but faith that the New England Patriots are going to be just fine. I actually predicted this. I predicted the Patriots to have a rough start. I said they had a tough schedule at the beginning. Um, Now, I will admit it was really concerning to watch Tom Brady go 14 for 26 against the Lions, had only 133 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, I I was concerned about watching Brady on Sunday Night Football, and I didn't really know what to make of it until I went back and watched. And I thought about it, and I realized— I've said over and over again, I'm never going to doubt Tom Brady again. We doubt LeBron. He always comes through. We doubt Tom Brady. He always comes through. These are two athletes in sports that every time you doubt them, every time you doubt Tom Brady, you count him out. Every time you doubt LeBron, you count him out. He finds a way to make it happen. So I'm never, ever going to doubt Tom Brady. I think they're still going to win their division. I believe in the Patriots. Here's a fact. The Patriots are going to be a better team week eight than they're going to be week four. It's just what's going to happen. The Patriots are going to every single week get better. They're going to progress. They always get better every single year. They might start slow. But week 15, the Patriots are a different team than they are week two. And so I I do believe in the Patriots. I think the Patriots are going to win their division, the AFC East. And uh, the Dolphins Patriots this week, week four of the NFL, it's a huge, huge deal. The Dolphins have a chance to step on the neck of the Patriots. If the Patriots go 1-3 and, and lose to the Dolphins, that's a statement by the Dolphins that says, we are the new dogs in town. Pay attention to us. So That's the biggest game this weekend. If you're looking for a game, I'm going to talk about it on Friday. I always do the two most interesting games. The Patriots and the Dolphins are an incredibly, incredibly interesting game. I cannot wait to watch on Sunday. All right, guys, that is all I have. I feel like I've gone far too long, um, but I, I just massively, massively appreciate you guys. I love doing this show. Um, I, I just, it's my favorite thing in the world. So thank you so much for listening. Remember you can subscribe to strong opinion sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show, share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. All right, guys, that is all I have. I'll see you guys on Friday. Enjoy the game. Again, I'm picking the Vikings to beat the Rams on Thursday Night Football tomorrow, and I cannot wait to watch. I'll share my thoughts about that on Friday. We're going to talk about USC football on Friday. I don't know what to make of their coach, uh, Clay Helton. I don't know if he should be fired. Is he good? Is he bad? He somehow found a way to beat Washington State on Friday. It's weird. We're going to talk about USC football Friday. We're going to talk about the game Thursday Night Football. I'll see you guys on Friday. Ba-dum-bum-bam. We are done. Bye.